Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Within the next couple of weeks, um, the NFL was, is going to, to host the NFL Draft. It's where they draft players from college to play on the various teams in the NFL. And I was watching um, on ESPN the other day um, some of the analysts, the NFL Draft analysts, about, about the draft and various players. And they was talking about the quarterbacks, the quarterbacks that are available in this year's draft. And the subject of Johnny Manziel came up, a quarterback that's from Texas A&M. And uh, <clears throat> one, of the <clears throat> one of the analysts' comments about him uh, in, in the draft was, love the talent, lose the tood. Meaning, he's an incredibly talented guy, an incredibly talented ball player, but his attitude may make it difficult for some teams to take him, to draft him. Um, he was inferring, uh, I assume, that his attitude about how, how good he thought he was and how, how the many assets he, he thought he would bring to a team. And I thought about that in, in light of today's message, and I wonder, I wonder if people say that about us from time to time. You know, love the person, lose the tude. I wonder if our attitude sometimes is, is, goes ahead of us, if we have a reputation for either a great attitude or a poor attitude. I wonder if our attitude goes ahead of us to, to where when we walk into a situation, there's some assumptions already made about us by folks that are there just because of our attitude and their perception of, of, of what our attitude is. So whether that's true of you or not, and, and if you're like most, it's, it's going to be, depending on which day, you, <laughs> which day you're around me, it's whether my attitude's a good attitude for that day or not. It may be good one day, bad the next, depending on my circumstances. Uh, and that's where the place where most of us live. Whether that's true of you or not, this, there's some anecdotal things here in 1 Peter 4 today that we're going to look at, I think, in, in terms of our attitude and in terms of the attitude of those around us, how those things are sh- help to shape who we are and how we see things. Um, so let's look at this text together and come back and, and glean what the Lord would have for us. Verse 1 of chapter 4, 1 Peter, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because those who have suffered in their bodies are done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, four things here that I think are in this text among several others, but but at least four. 
that I want us to look today at, at, about our attitudes. Our attitudes, first of all, are shaped through suffering. All right? and, he, and, he, and he comes right out of the blocks here with this attitude in these, in these first couple of verses. Since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with this same attitude because those who have suffered in their bodies are done with sin. Man, what a strong statement. Those who have suffered in their bodies are done with sin. Arm yourselves with this same attitude, he says. In essence, when you get up in the morning, clothe yourselves. We talked about, as we studied the book of Ephesians together a couple of years ago, we talked about clothing ourselves with the armor of God and putting the armor of God on. He said, this is one of those same elements. Attitudinally, he says, arm yourself with an attitude that says, if Christ suffered, how do I expect that I'm going to not do the same thing if I'm choosing to walk with him? difficulty is going to come my way. How am I going to handle that today? Am I going to handle it with bitterness? Am I going to handle it with anger? Or am I going to handle that with an attitude in the spirit that says, this is what Jesus did. This is where he walked. This is where I'm walking. That's part of walking with him, part of who he is. Um, he, says, he says here in this verse also, especially in verse 2, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. In essence, he's saying this attitude of understanding that suffering is a part of every believer's life is an attitude that the wiser person understands. An attitude that the more mature believer gets, a more immature believer will see, man, what's, why is this happening? I thought when I accepted Christ, my life was supposed to work. I thought things were supposed to come out and lay out in place for me, are they not? And a, and a mature believer, the longer a person's been in their faith and they've walked with the Lord, they said, no, that's, that's not the way it works. In fact, it didn't work that way for him, and he was perfect, sinless. How do I think my life is supposed to work and everything's supposed to fall in place for me? A wise person, he's saying in verse 2, gets that. They understand that their attitude is a choice. It's a thing that they look at Christ to say, that's the way he walked, that's the way I'm going to walk. If this is, was his plight in life, it's also my plight in life. My life, was, will, will, I cannot expect it to be any easier or any different than his. So this phrase, though, I'm done with sin, he says here in verse 1, arm yourselves with the same attitude because those who suffered in their bodies are done with sin. Meaning that if we have the proper attitude, we don't sin anymore? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying with the proper attitude, you don't live in habitual sin. With the proper attitude of understanding what suffering is about, habitual sin is foreign to you. It's, it's a foreign concept. I, I, I catch myself in sin more or less to say, that's not where I'm supposed to live. I'm supposed to be living over here. And a person who lives with the attitude that understands suffering is a part of my life, sin doesn't engulf me anymore. It doesn't consume me anymore. It doesn't control me anymore. Do I still sin? Yes, I do. But it's the exception rather than the rule. And the more mature I get in my walk with Christ, the more I understand that, that suffering is mine because I belong to Him, the more mature I walk in that position, the less habitual sin becomes for me, the less of a challenge it becomes for me. So he said, I'm done with sin. I'm done with the effects of allowing the enemy control over my life oh, day after day after day, situation after situation. I'm done with habitual sin. Is that an easy thing? Absolutely not. None of this is easy. Um, so he's saying, I'm done with my, my habitual sin, my human desires I've set on the shelf, more or less, in verse 2. I'm setting my human desires over here to say, that's not what I want for myself anymore. I realize that what God wants for me is what's best for me, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult. It brings me into a greater understanding of who he is, of who I am and how those two things can change my world, can change and impact people's lives through my own influence. Um, here, in these first two verses, he's talking about physical suffering. Christ suffered physically, we will too. But it also applies to mental suffering and emotional suffering because they're interconnected. I've got a, got a good friend who just, and I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, to, to, to pray for Rusty after his bike wreck and broke his legs in a couple of places. He's going to be laid up for a while. And I knew that would be a struggle for him because he's, he's a very 
kind of by himself, go-getter person, self-employed, by, works by himself all the time. I knew that'd be difficult for him, and it was. And he, and, you know, and, and I, he wouldn't mind my sharing this with you because we've conversed about that, and he's, he realizes I, I need to live a more open, transparent life and connect with people more. We had that conversation the other day. And he, he kind of had a meltdown after his wreck. I mean, he just, he just you know, he said, I, I got, I told Laura, let's get in the car and let's go to Cage Cove. We got a couple of camper chairs and we got in the car and we drove to Cage Cove and I got my crutches out in the field and she brought the chairs out in the middle of the field and I just sat down in the field and sat out there and had me a pity party and cried for about 30 minutes. And he said, that's just totally unlike me at all. And I said, exactly. Because, and I didn't point the scripture out to him because that's the nature of how you and I react too. When things physically beset us and, and, and come on us that we didn't, certainly we didn't expect, we didn't ask for, it affects us mentally. It affects us emotionally. It affects our spirit. And so he's saying, Jesus suffered physically, you will too, but not only will it affect your body, it'll affect your mind. It'll affect the way you think. It'll affect your attitude. It'll affect your desire. It'll affect your drive. It'll affect your motivation. It'll affect how you see yourself. It'll affect the value with which you place yourself in a situation. Can't help but do that. They're all interconnected. If we're suffering physically, we're going to suffer mentally and emotionally as well as a result of it. However, if we go into that, into that suffering and anticipate it even with the attitude that this is where Christ walked, this is where I'm going to walk, I realize it's seasonal. It's not permanent. It's, it's, it, it lasts for a season, and sometimes the seasons are hours long. Sometimes they're months long. Some, in some cases, they're decades long. Are you serious? Yeah. Because we, God, that's the only way for sometimes for God to get us to see the very thing he wants us to see. And until we see it, we're going to stay in that same place. When we see it, the significance of that suffering becomes less and less and less. In fact, it's no longer a challenge for us. We may be in the same situation. Our circumstances had not changed. Just the way we look at it has changed. Why? Because we've seen what God wanted us to see by going there and by being there and walking in that place. Secondly, our attitudes not only shape through suffering, but are shaped by our past. Look at what he says here in verses 3 to 6. You spend enough time in the past doing what pagans used to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. They heap abuse on you, but they'll have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they may be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. He he begins verse 3 by saying, you spent enough time in the past. What's the message he wants us to get here? Don't allow the past to consume you anymore. I don't know what your past looks like, but if you're allowing the enemy a foothold to say, this is who you still are, and you'll never change because this is who you are, whether you like it or not. This is going to be who you are until the day you die. This is who you are. He's saying, don't allow the enemy that much room and that much of, of a foothold to say, this is who you are, because our past doesn't define us. If it does, we're allowing it to define us, and we're choosing to allow it to say, this is who you are, this is the way your life's going to be, and it's never going to be any different than this. He's saying in these verses, enough with your past. You've, you've walked that, that way enough, let it go. That's a hard thing for many people to do. It may be hard for you. Depend on your, how you're wired, depend on your family situation, and how you emotionally dealt with conflict and those kind of things in your home. Letting go of your past is kind of difficult for some people. It's, it's a hard thing to do, but he's saying, here's the wisdom in this verse. You really want to live with an attitude that looks godly? Let your past go. Don't keep carrying around the junk that you've been carrying around for weeks, months, years, decades. Let that go. He's saying that, that, it's, that those, those are the very kind of things that keep us in bondage 
bondage that we'll suffer judgment for, he's saying here in verses 5 and 6. Judgment's coming because of that. And these same people that he says that you hung with, your environment has to change, your relationships has to change, your attitude has to change, your spirit has to change. You can't walk in the same place you walked in in your past and expect, to, expect that not to affect you in some way. Your circumstances, your environment affects our witness. It affects our attitudes. It affects our spirit. It affects our vocabulary. It affects our mindset. We can't escape that. He's saying, let, go, let that go. And, and, and if necessary, let them go. If, 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 if the folks around you are the very ones pulling you down here, he says, don't join them, verse 4. Don't join them in their reckless, wild living. They're, they're, they're bitter that you don't join them anymore. They're mad at you that you're not hanging with them anymore. Why? Because you've moved beyond that. You've moved beyond those things in your past that were immature, that were self-serving. He says, don't continue to walk in that place. Let your past be your past. Let it go. I know that's hard to do, uh, but our past is just that. It, it, it should be, at least for us, who are striving to live godly lives, it should be a sense, a, a series more or less of lessons and consequences. Here's what I did. Here's what I learned. <laughs> here's the place I walked. Here's what happened as a result of it. If your past is not a series of lessons and not a series of consequences, that's pretty good for you because you've lived a past that you don't regret, but probably most of us have lived a past that I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't gone there. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't. And so regardless of whether it's personal, whether it's circumstantial, whether it's financial, whether it's you know relational, the things in our past continue to affect us if we allow them to, if we choose, and it's a choice, to stay a victim of our past. If we choose to stay in that place, the enemy's going to use it day after day after day after day. And he's saying in these verses, let that go. And if necessary, let them go too. The very ones who would pull you back into that same behavior, back into that same line of thinking. Um, until, until we make a decision not to, that's where we're gonna, most of us are going to stay. It starts with the decision to say, not today. Now tomorrow, I'll deal with tomorrow tomorrow. But today, not today. I'm not allowing the enemy today to defeat me with who I was and who I used to be and how I used to think and how I used to behave. Not today. Tomorrow, let's address that tomorrow. But th- you take that a day at a time, as most people do, to say, not today. It's kind of like an alcoholic. Today, I'm not going to drink. Today, I'm that's the same thing with somebody who struggles with letting their past go and struggles with the, with the conviction of, I thought this was who I was. No, it's a choice. And today I'm choosing not to, not to walk in that place, but to walk in, in who he says that I am. Um, it affects our relationships. It affects our attitudes around others. It certainly does. And so, uh, but as we, as we allow our, our attitudes to shape our past, they shape how we come across to other folks. Our attitudes, thirdly, not only are shaped through suffering and shaped by our past, but are shaped by each other. Our attitudes are shaped by each other. The end of all things, verse 7, is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, watch this verse, above all, love each other deeply. If you have a pen with you, underline the word deeply in your Bible. Love each other deeply. Love each other with conviction. Love each other with a love that costs, something that, that requires an investment of you. A deep love is never, ever, ever, ever convenient. So if you've got a relationship with someone that, that, that is a love or a love relationship, whether, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child, if you've got a love relationship that doesn't cost you something, it's not deep. If you've got a love relationship that doesn't, doesn't force you into sacrificing for them, it's not a deep love. It's not a love that is, it, it's a love that's oftentimes circumstantial and not regardless of the circumstances. That's the way he loves us. That's the way he's, he's called us to love each other. It's not one of convenience. You want to see a deep love, you only have to look as far as the cross. 
That's a picture of what love, what sacrificial love is. A love that says to you and I, I care about you. I love you. I'm sacrificing my life, my body for you and for your, for your, for your heart, for your future, for your eternity. That's a love that's deep. That's a love that's costly. That's a love that's circumstantially inconvenient. And it cost him his very life. That's a picture of the very, of the very thing that he's trying to get us across, get ideas trying to get across. Um, now, here's something else I, I think that opens up in these couple of verses. He's saying here, offer hospitality in verse 9 to one another without grumbling. In essence, a deep love opens itself up. A deep love makes itself vulnerable. He's saying offer, offer, offer hospitality to people without being bitter about it. Let people into your world and into your life without fences, without restrictions, without let them into your, into your mind, into your heart, into your world, into your ways, into how you think, into how you do things. Let them into that. Open up yourself with some level of vulnerability to say, it's a love that may cost me their opinion of me once they see me for who I really am. It may, in fact, it may even cost the relationship. Their opinion of me has, has been here, and, and I know that I live here. And if I let them into here, they may bolt. And this may be, and he's saying, that's a love that's deep. That's a love that says, I don't care if anybody sees, bring it on in. See, see who I'm not. Reveal, reveal to, to, to yourself, to everybody else, this is who I am. And if, if you've had me here for some reason, if I've placed myself here inadvertently for some reason and, and, and we, we're dealing with the reality of here I am now that you've seen my world and my life and how I think and how I handle the situations and I'm not perfect and I make mistakes and I say wrong things and I do wrong things and, and your opinion of me is, is the, the, the closer you get, the more open I become. The, your opinion of me, that's a love that's willing to risk, he says. That's, that's, that's a love that costs. It costs us Sometimes our, 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 our attitude, our spirit, our standing with someone else, um, that's a love it cost. It's, it, but th- that's a love that's shaped by each other. And, and, and our, 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 our effect, the way we love, the way we relate, the way they love, the way they relate, if that's always on the surface, don't, don't you long for something just deeper than, hey, how you doing? Good. Don't you long for something deeper with that than folks? Now, maybe not 350 folks, <laughs> but three don't you long for something deeper with a few folks in your life to say, I'd like for somebody to see me how I really am. And I'd like, I'd like to see them how they really are. And, and walk in, in a place that says, you know what, this is rough sometimes. And it gets hard sometimes. And we have to sacrifice for each other sometimes. But that's what love does. Great book by Bob Goff, Love Does. Pick it up and read it. It's, it's a, it, it, it speaks to this very thing that real love costs. Real love moves you to action. It may move you. It may cost finance, financially. It'll certainly cost time, uh, but, but it may cost in other ways for you. And so he said, that's what I'm calling you to. Well, why he says, serve each other here as well as stewards, verse 10, of God's grace in its various forms. What does that mean? As stewards of God's grace in its various forms. He's saying that a transparent, deep love with someone else, that kind of relationship will cause, will force you if you're, if you're living in it, will force you to offer grace to somebody you didn't even think you could do before. And how do we do that? Well, John 1, 14 um, says, in his fullness, in Christ's fullness, we have received grace that has been replaced by grace. And, and, and that's a continuing form of the verb in that verse. It says, grace replaced by grace, replaced by grace, replaced by grace. It never ends, he's saying. And so that's the very way in which we should see our relationships with each other that they, we apply grace where it, because why? They're not perfect, and we're not either. 
And we need grace applied to us sometimes too from them. God has supplied it to us, and we need to apply it to each other. We serve each other by applying his grace in each other's lives. Um, that's, not, that's not easy to do either. These are hard, these are hard things, but, but things that shape us, shape our attitudes and make us more godly. Well, why is all this so important? All this is so important by the first phrase of verse 7. The end of all things is near. Why is it so important that we have relationships of transparency with each other, that we have, we have love relationships with friends and family that's deep, that's costly, that moves beyond where it's convenient? Why is that so important? Because the end of all things is near. And we have friends around us. You have folks you work with, maybe folks in your family. We have people around us that don't know, that doesn't know Jesus. And the end of all things is near. He's coming again. And it may be soon, but he's promised in, the word, in his word that he's coming again to receive us unto himself. If they don't know him, that relationship that we've worked at, that we've, we've chored at, that we've, we've applied grace to, that we've loved, that relationship is then severed because they don't know Jesus, and we do. So what's the, what's the meaning behind all this? That they come to know him, that they see him in us, not just that we open up ourselves and make ourselves vulnerable and they see us for who we really are and, and like us a little bit anyway. No, that they see him in us. That's the, that's the whole motive of this, of this transparent life, this transparent relationship, this vulnerability, this hospitality, this grace. The very motive for that is that they see Christ in us and are drawn to him in us. Our attitudes are shaped by each other, whether we like it or not. Your story matters, and it matters to someone in your world and around your world that God's already placed you in, in contact with. Fourthly, not only are we shaped by suffering our past and each other, but our attitudes are shaped, look at verse 11, by who gets the glory. Our attitudes are shaped by who gets the glory. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. If what we say and how we say it draws attention to us instead of him, in other words, if the attitude by which we live focuses others' attention on us instead of him, it's the wrong attitude. The glory, he said, goes to him. And so how we live attitudinally should point people to him. It should be a reflection of who he is, not who we are, of what he wants, not what we want, of what's best for him, for his glory, not for our own. So if our attitude and our spirit is something other than that, those things are the things we need to chuck and we need to start putting on these attitudes that require us to see suffering as a plus. These attitudes that require us to see our past as a past and let it go. These attitudes that force us to, to live in transparency and openness and vulnerability with each other. That's the very thing he's saying. That this is the attitude to clothe yourself with. Not your attitude of how good you need it or how good you are or how well you need it. How, 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 how life needs to work for you or, or you let everybody else around you know it. If life isn't working, everybody else suffers. Not only just you. Um, <laughs> These two verses, uh, or verse 11 specifically, this verse attacks and addresses our motive. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we say the things we say? Why do we think the things we think? There's motive behind those things. Here is, you've heard this statement, I have too, and and it's true. Who we are when nobody's around is who we really are. Who we are when nobody's looking, who we are when we're alone is who we really are. Now, If God is glorified in that, if he's glorified by you in private, well, it's really easy to glorify him in public. But if he's not glorified in your life in private, it becomes a real struggle to glorify him anywhere. And so if you're making him known 
in public, there's, a, there's a, probably a good sense that you're glorifying him in private. That there's this, there's this marriage of, of I'm seeking God. In, in fact, and I've shared this with you before, and Rick and I have had conversations about this, that if a person doesn't worship in private, their public worship is a facade. But, but, and, you, and we can see it. I mean, he's done this for years. I've done it. I've led worship for years. I can see it in the countenance of people's faces from a, from a platform or somewhere looking into people's faces as they worship. I can see whether it's fake. And he can too. And, the, and but sadly, the Lord can too. Or I can see whether this is the outgrowth of somebody who's already spent time with God. This is just the icing. I mean, we can take the icing off, and they still got plenty of cake left to worship with. This is not a, this is not a, a, a half, half thing with them. They, they pour themselves into this. They worship God. They spend time with him alone. They spend time with him in private. They're, they're driving down the interstate, and everybody else is thinking about where they're supposed to be, and they're singing. They've they got a CD in, or they're, they got K-Love on, and they're singing at the top of their lungs, and the people looking at them like freaks going down the road or without a stop sign. Those are the kind of folks that, are, that come into a public scene. They're not, totally, they're not intimidated at all by what God's doing here. They want to be engaged in it because they already are in private. That's the very thing he's talking about here to say who you are when nobody's looking is who you really are. Is God getting glory in those moments? Is he getting glory in those, in those days, in those hours? If he is, the outgrowth of that is people are going to see it, not just at church, but more importantly, outside of church. People are going to see it at work. People are going to see it in my home. They're going to see it in my lives. Um, that's, there's no challenge to do that in public. If our motive, if our heart, if who we really want is to connect with him in private, he's going to get the glory. And that attitude is going to be an easy attitude of transference. I don't care whether people see me worshiping is the mindset I'm talking about. I don't care whether people see me worshiping. I don't care if I look like a nut. I don't care if I look like a freak. I want to be in his presence and I want him to know that I'm, I'm in a holy place and I can't, I can't be still by that. I can't, I can't allow that to not affect me some way. That's the very thing he's talking about. If, if that's happening in private, it's going to happen in public. Well, this dovetails with this whole idea that there's, there's no room on the throne of our life for more than one person. Um, in fact, Randy, come here. I'm going to use you as a prop. There's <clears throat> Here's the way oftentimes many of us want to live. Or, or at least look like we want to sit down right here. You're going to play the role of Jesus. No pressure, by the way. But, but most, most of us see the, see the throne of God, see, and, and we kind of, want to, kind of want to wedge in and try to, can I have a little bit here? And, and that's, that's, you can sit down. That, that's, how most of us, that's how most of us want to live. We, we want to say, yeah, he's on the throne, but can I have a little bit of that? I mean, I, he's seated in an authoritative place, but... Can I get a little bit of ownership of that? Can I, can I wedge a, can I just wedge one leg into, that's not saying, no, the throne's not for you. It was never intended for you, never designed for you. It don't fit you if it's one person, if it's him. So if our attitude, if we live, and, 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 and many of us do live with a struggle of control, and, our, and, and attitudinally we're trying to, have I got this or has God got this? Can I, can I manage this or do I need to? And, that, and that's where most of us live spiritually oftentimes to say, you know, I can take care of this. I can take care of the, of the car trouble. Or I can take care of this breaking down at the house. Or I can take care of but this relationship that I, don't, I can't make sense of or this relationship with my boss or this. I, I don't know if I need to just go in and tell them a thing or two or if I just need to leave this with the Lord. That's, that's the very thing that we're struggling with. That's the, that's the picture of that. Is he on the throne or am I on the throne? Am I wedging my way in to his authority 
Or does he have total authority in my life to do what he wants to when he wants to do it the way he wants to do it? Attitudinally, that matters. And that's what he's saying here. That's what First Peter is saying here in these first 11 verses here of 1 Peter 4 is to say your attitude shapes who you are. And if you want control, guess what? He'll let you have it. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to fail. And your past is going to be something, your present is going to be some things you regret if you want control. Not just your past. He's saying attitudinally, if you'll let me have these things, if you'll understand that your life's not supposed to work all the time. Why? Because you're not from here. Once you know him, your citizenship changes. And we're not wired for here anymore. So he's saying if you're, if you're looking for things to work here, you're looking for the wrong things. Attitudinally, we need to look beyond here. But what he's doing in us and where we're supposed to go. A couple of questions here as we close. <clears throat> what do we need to attitudinally let go of today? What, do we need to, what are some attitudes that, that perhaps have hounded us, have haunted us, have, have followed us around that we need to let go of? Um, has suffering made you bitter? Is, is, there, is there a relationship that's been severed that's made you bitter? Has somebody hurt you? Has, has somebody stepped on your emotions and stepped on what you wanted and stepped on actually what you thought was right and you feel like you've been wronged and you've been harboring bitterness for it for way, way, way too long? Has, there, has, your, has anything in your past made you angry? Are you dealing with, as I say, maybe it's, maybe it's a broken relationship, maybe it's a, a job loss, maybe whatever. Somebody has wronged you, your situation has been wronged or hurt, and you're angry as a part of it. And that anger has been carried around for far too long. It needs to be let go of. Have, have others made you apathetic? Illustrating in these verses that, that others, our attitudes are shaped by each other. Have others forced you to be apathetic with your faith? Say, so you know what? If that's what Christianity looks like, I don't have time for it. I'll make a little time for it every now and then. I'll go to church occasionally and I'll, I'll, I may get up my Bible once every now and then when something's really, really going on or if I need an answer to something. But generally speaking, I'm not interested in intimacy with him. I'm not interested in knowing him more deeply because it cuts costly. And I, that's a cost I'm not willing to pay. I'm willing to pay there. So I, I'm going to choose to be apathetic because of the very things I see that godliness requires aren't for me. And I just hope that works for you, good for you. Hang in there, but not for me. Has it forced you to be apathetic with seeing the lives of others? Have I made myself entitled? Have I, have I caused... By, by way of the enemy, cause to think of myself in my circumstances and my way of life and my, that I, I do this, aren't I? I mean, I've been pretty good to God. I've been faithful. I've tithed. I've come to church. I read my Bible. I've God owes me this, doesn't he? I mean, isn't this, isn't this what, what a relationship is supposed to be like? I mean, blessing's supposed to come from all these things I'm doing, from these ways I'm thinking, from these conversations. Isn't that, I do this, isn't I? He's saying here, if we're living with a sense of entitlement, we're coming to the throne to say, I'm taking over. I don't want just a leg in. I want the throne. The throne is, th- these, these are things I deserve. These are, these are things that life is due. I'm, I'm due these things in life. Well, those are some attitudes that we need to let go of. There may be more. But those are some things that come to mind that grow out of these, these passages of Scripture that we looked at today. Second question is more important than this, and that's this. What attitudes do I need to pick up? What attitudes do I need to take on myself? Do I need to, to allow to, to, to have some control over the way I think, over, the, over my spirit, over my, the way I feel about things? 
How about replacing bitterness with a sense of gratitude? Gratitude for what? Gratitude for the fact that the very one who loves me deeply died for me mercilessly. The one who loves me the deepest and knows me the best was beaten and scourged and sped upon and annihilated for me. How about some gratitude instead of bitterness? How about seeing what God's done for us, what he continues to do for us? How about motivation instead of anger? How about you and I seeing that the very thing that has hurt me, the very thing that has made me angry, whether it's the person or whether it's the situation, is motivation for me to walk in a godly way right through the middle of all of that mess and for him to be revealed in it. Not for me to get my way, not for me to get them back, but for me to reveal him in the midst of a hurtful, hard situation, for me to be selfless and motivated to reveal him in the middle of those things. How about forgiveness instead of apathy? How about seeing the lives of others and realizing they're just as messed up as I am? And how about I just forgive them instead of hold them in judgment? How about I show some grace to them that he talked about earlier instead of saying, will you just get your life together so we can be be friends? Will you get your life together so that our marriage will work? Will you get your life together? How about less requirement of judgment on our part and more, more grace applied to them? And How about we learn to forgive instead of, hold them accountable when we're, we're unwilling to be held accountable ourselves. And then finally, how about an attitude of selflessness instead of entitlement? How about an attitude that says, you know what? I don't care what the cost. Your relationship with me matters enough to where I, I'll pay the cost. I want to love you deeply. I want to love you inconveniently. It's okay that it costs me something. It's okay that it costs me time. It's okay that it costs me money. It's okay that whatever the cost, I'm willing to pay it. Why? Because your relationship is that important to me. I want to know you that way. I'm willing to hospitably open you up into my world, into my life to say, here's who I am, warts and all, struggles and all, and we'll bring you into that. And I I, I desire that kind of relationship with you. I don't know if that's something you long for or not, um, but attitudes shape who we are. Attitudes shape how people perceive us, correctly or incorrectly. It's true. They shape how people perceive us. And what is even more scary, they shape how people see our God. They shape how people perceive our Lord and our relationship with Him. And if we have an attitude that's, that's, that's you know, like this six days a week and like this on Sunday, guess what? People see through that. They do. They, they know that's going on. And if, they're, if, they're, if our attitudes are, are shaped by our circumstances, when life isn't working, and oftentimes it's not, when life isn't working, People see that. And when life is working, people see that. If, those kinda, if, if that's how you and I have lived, attitudinally speaking, he's saying here, will you let go of some of that and put on the very things that reveal me, selflessness, forgiveness? Will you, will you, will you put on those attitudes that people can see me? They won't see you in that because they'll look at you and think, how in the world is she, how, is she, how does she have, she have such a buoyant spirit? I know what's going on in her life. I know what her circumstances are like. How can she find joy in the middle of where she's at? That's a loud testimony to them and, and a testimony that's far more godly than, you know, will you just give me some space until all this works out and then we can be friends again? It's not what he's called us to. He's called us to attitudes that look like him. He's called us to attitudes that model who he is. Are they hard? You better believe they are. They're difficult. But those are daily struggles that, that we face each and every morning to say, no longer today. 
It's not about me today. It's not about my past today. It's not about my friends today. It's not about my glory today. It's about Him. It's about others. It's about me focusing my attention, my energies, to where they bring honor and glory to who He is. That's hard stuff. I don't care how you slice it. It's hard stuff. Whether you've grown up in a home that's just everything works, or whether you've grown up in a home that's just friction, all the, it's hard. It's hard to do. That's what He's called us to. Our attitudes matter. Don't think for a moment they don't. And don't think for a moment folks don't pick up on them because they do. And they're picking up on your God in the middle of your attitude. You okay with that? I don't like how that looks with me sometimes. Do you? But we can change that. It starts with a decision. And then it starts with a decision again on Monday. And a decision again on Tuesday. And a decision again on Wednesday. It's daily. To have our attitudes reflect our God. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.